Paul was really concerned with the Galatian church. We've been reading through these verses, and now we come to Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? Do you want to be like that again, he says to them? I mean, he, I think that from Paul's position at this point, he's going, it's incomprehensible to me that you would experience the freedom that we have in Christ and now you want to go right back to that law. Well, it's mind-boggling to him. He says in verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. So it's not about relationship. It's not about knowing God. It's not about being known by God. It's about doing things. And that's always a hindrance in Christianity. That's always when things outside of Christ gets a strong hold on us. And it's obvious that the law, the culture, their history had a strong hold on these people from Galatia. Remember that region in Turkey is Galatia. Not one particular church, but a series of churches, the people. that, that The law of, of they've been so patterned to following had such a hold on them. They experienced the freedom that we have in Christ, and, and they go right back to that law. He's grieved over it. He's hurting over it. It's not what he wants for the Galatian people. Now, I've thought about what Paul wants here, and I've looked at this passage that we're going to look at here today, or we're going through right now, from the pastor's eye. Paul was an apostle. Apostle in the Greek means called face-to-face with God for a purpose, for a mission, and he was an apostle, apostello. He, he was called by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So he was indeed a missionary. He was indeed an apostle. But he was also a pastor. He pastored people. He pastored Barnabas. He pastored John Mark. He pastored on, on a forest and, and took care of them. And all the people that you read about, he pastored them. And, and Paul has a pastor's heart. Paul grew in love. Paul grew in wisdom. Paul grew in a determination to, to point people in the right direction. Now, as, as pastor, you know, I have no authority over you. I mean, I'm the pastor of the church, but I really don't have any authority over you. I'm, I'm a leader, of course, but, but the only authority I have over you is what you give me. The only influence I have over you is what you give me. I mean, I, I, can't, I can't wave my hand and make you do anything, right? It's a, you know, we believe in priesthood of the believer, and I believe that's what the Scripture teaches, and all of us are level with God. We're all level under Christ. Now, in function, we have different functions, and those functions do mean there's a differences in leadership, maybe responsibility changes, but, but we're all level before the Lord. And, but I have wants for you. I have cravings for you. I have desires for you. And I just sat down and thought about, what, what do I really want from you? What do I want for you is really 
better way of saying it than what I want from you. I want for you. I want you to know what you have in Jesus. I want you to know. I want you to know what you have in Jesus and experience it. I, I want you to experience the fullness of God. I want you to have it all, all that there is to have. I want you to have, you remember last week we talked about, it's really important for us to know what we have already and respond to it. I just want you to know what you have. I want you to understand that only in Jesus will anyone ever be fully satisfied. I want you to know that. I want you to experience that. I want you to live that out. I want you to know for sure about your salvation. I, I want you to know for sure about everyone in your family's salvation. I want you to be concerned with your family and friends about their salvation because it's so important. I want that for you. I, I don't want you to be, you know, just casual about your salvation and the salvation of other people because honestly, at the end of the day, that's all that's going to matter is people's salvation. It's a short life. It's a fragile life. The Bible tells us that life is like a vapor. And so we never know. And Devin shows us that. We never know that we're about to go through the most horrible situation you can imagine. And we need to know for sure about salvation. Devin had received Christ. And so they have that right? And there's nothing better to have. There's nothing better to have than that. That's the best. The hurt's going to be there. The hurt's going to continue. The hurt is going to be a long-term struggle. Of course, it's going to be that way. There's no way. As a matter of fact, I shared with Dustin yesterday, he was really feeling a little guilt about he's got to be there for his family. I mean, you know, he's a great big football playing guy and all those kind of things. And I said, dude, there's no way. I mean, the guy that walked across my backyard with two 80-pound bags of concrete like he was carrying two bags of peanut butter sandwich. I looked, I was carrying one bag. I was, oh, of course, I'm old. I mean, during my heyday, I could have, you know. But I, there's never been a heyday for me to pick up two 80-pound bags of concrete, set them up on the ends, and reach down and go, da, 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 da. that's that's weird, right? That's freaky. Man, he, genetics. You can't do anything about your DNA. And some of us don't have DNA that we'll ever be able to pick up two bags of concrete, the big ones, and walk like that. Said, you just can't do it, dude. You cannot handle this burden. You cannot. I want you to know that. I want you to know that you cannot carry that, those kind of burdens. And you know that scripture that says, that people say, and it's the Facebook and the Twitter thing, God will not put on you more than you can handle? That's, a, that's not true. That's not scripture. 
what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians is, the Lord will not allow a temptation to fall on you that is more than you can handle because he will give a way out. It's about temptation, not about problems. Not about that kind of hurt and pain. I want you to feel the love of Jesus in your life. I want you to feel the Holy Spirit. I want you to know the joy of serving, worshiping, and loving with all of your heart because it is the sweet spot for life. Now, that's what I want for you. Can you imagine what Paul wanted? I mean, I'm not Paul's equal. I mean, Paul's Paul. We're all else learning from Paul. He's the man. He's the one that saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He spent three years out in the wilderness in Arabia. He, he has seen things that I've only read about. And if I want those things for you as a pastor and, and growing and learning to love, can you imagine what Paul wanted for these people? And he's pouring his heart out to them and saying, you are being held by negative things, by torturous things, by things that will not help you. That's, that this law has a strong hold on them. And he says to them in verse 11, after, and, and you, can you put in context between this desire he has for his people, for them to dis- experience all you can in Christ? And he says, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Now, the greatest fear in my life is insignificance. When they do those tests, that's always the greatest fear. I fear most insignificance. I fear most not have made an impact. That's what pastors do. That's part of the calling. I mean, I don't care about the buildings. I don't care about all the other stuff that we've been able to do. I don't, it doesn't matter to me at all. I, I care that you grow in Christ. I care that you know Jesus and that your family do and you heard. I care that you're serving God. Not just for the results of serving God, but that's the very best for you. I know that when you're not doing anything, it's not good for you. It's not what God wants for you. And I, I, I just, I do all I can that you grow in Christ. It's, it's a pretty big task, isn't it? It's hard. But that's, that's what moves me. That's what motivates me. I mean, I know that because when, when I hear stories and I see people and they are serving God with all their heart, it, it just energizes me. I mean, she will, she'll hate me for this, but the Cranfords, Don and Hallie. I wish it was Haley because I can say Haley easier than Hallie. What a blessing they are, right, in the Titus Two Ministries. They just... The Lord told them to do it, and they're doing it. It's a, what a deal that is. You, I can't tell you how that moves me. I get excited about it. And many of you have helped, and many of you involved in all that. And when I hear about things that you have done for the Lord Jesus, man, I, I just go, yeah. Yeah, it's the greatest victory there is. I mean, the, the you know, uh, Kim McClure. And Mark McClure, been here a long time, served the Lord. They've been involved in different things. And then Josh struggles with drugs, 
and he has a couple, he passes out a couple times when he's at tech, and he's addicted to drugs. He's addicted to fentanyl. And if you want to do something over this July 4th weekend, listen to the Hope is Alive podcast that Kim speaks on. It's really good. Man, she's good. I I sat there and listened to that this weekend. I was going, holy cow, Susan. She's been doing podcasts all her life. I would subscribe to this. This is really good. Hope is Alive podcast. I don't know how to tell you to get there, but somebody young will be able to help you with that. All right? And I listened to it. I went, what a great ministry. So, you know, Josh is addicted to drugs, goes to the uh, stone place over here in Azel to get help with his drug addiction. And he gets help, he, he gets help with it, but, he, but he's got to find a sober living. You know, one of the things that's very hard is when you come out of those drug rehab centers is you need to go to a sober living place and give you time to really adjust and have all those things going for you. And he went and found hope is alive, and that's where the Lord sent him. And, but to see the transition that has taken place in Kim's life. She's not a new person. She's the same gal. She's wildly opinionated, wildly funny, but double wild outspoken. That's why we love Kim. She's fun. She's fun. Matter of fact, I, I know this is off the topic, but... We had a funeral here once, and uh, she was standing back there, and she was at the funeral, and this, I think the Methodist church had a funeral too, and this couple came in, and they looked at the little brochure, and they went, well, this isn't the person we've come for a funeral. I said, that's at the Methodist church, and Kim was standing right there, and he said, you need to stay here. Our funeral will be better than theirs. <laughs> I went, probably not appropriate at the time. But it was really funny. And now the Lord has used them, and, and they've got the ministry here on, on every other Monday night, helping parents with drug-addicted family and friends. All because they went through that. And now she's just gone to work. She's retired from the school system, and she's gone to work for them. Lord did that. The Lord did that. And so Paul cares for these people. And he's concerned, have I labored among you in vain? Have I wasted my time? I mean, it's, it's gripping his heart. And he says in verse 12, brothers, I entreat you. He's pleading with them. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. Now, he's not saying you need to be like me. He's saying we need to be together. That's what he's saying here. I mean, we need to still be in the hunt together. We need to still be not held back by this law. We need to have, we need to have the freedom of Christ, just like I do. I want you to have that together. He says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Don't know what that means. Was that the motivator? That's what it seems to say. But I do know what it means that Paul obviously struggled with eyesight problems. As he says at the end of this letter, see with what large letters I'm writing the letter to you now. He couldn't see. But that makes sense, doesn't it? The older you get, I mean, if you didn't have reading glasses, can you imagine pre-reading glasses when you got older, how difficult reading would be and how difficult writing would be? 
And so he's got these uh, physical issues that they connected with. That's what he's saying to him. Now, he also had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that is. I think it was diverticulitis, nothing worse than diverticulitis. And he may have had that. He, 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 he was just bothered. We know that he was whipped. He was snake bit. He was shipwrecked. He was just rocked. They stoned him. I mean, he had illness and sickness. I'm sure that when they saw Paul at 55 years old, man, he was a hundred looking. I mean, he, he really, his life, his physically, it had to take a toll. And he says to them, man, you shared with me. You helped me. You aided me when, when I was sick among you, when I was struggling along you, and I preached the gospel at first. And he says in verse 14, And though my condition was a trial to you, them trying to help him, you did not scorn or despise me. We were brothers. We were together. What has happened to that? But receive me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus, you receive me as a messenger from God. That's what it means by the angel reference. What then has become of your blessedness, he says? What has happened? You were so gracious to me. You were so caring to me. And, and really what he's saying is, you really listened to me. You embraced the gospel. You embraced the truth. What in the world happened? What changed that? Because I saw your character. I saw your devotion to Christ. It was seen in the love that you had for me. And he says there in verse, eight, verse 15, What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you, had have, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Another reference to his eyesight problems. Boy, he's pouring out his heart, isn't he? And then... Probably, and it, this is a hard thing to understand, but probably one of the top indicators of his pastor's heart is in verse 16. He was willing to become their enemy in telling the truth. Every pastor, well, can't speak for all. Let me speak for me. I am absolutely okay with you hating me because of the truth. That's weird, isn't it? I mean, people pleasing, you know? I mean, I want you to be happy. I, I want you to like me. But... If you hate me because I tell the truth, I, I'm sorry. It doesn't impact me at all. And sometimes I can tell that with some people, sometimes their, you know, accusations, their opinions, their dissatisfaction with me usually is tied to speaking the truth. And, and, I honestly see the tragic nature of telling people what they want to hear so they will like me. Paul didn't have any of that. He said, I've become your enemy because I tell the truth. 
He was willing to be their enemy because he told the truth. Have I become your enemy by telling the truth? And then he says in verse 17, he's telling them in verses 17 and 18, you've really made a mistake here. You are being duped. They, the Judaizers, they make much of you. They celebrate you. When you return back to them, when you return away, when you turn away from believing in salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ and living in freedom in him and you return to him, they make much of you. They celebrate you. You like it when people make much of you, he says to them. They make much of you, but for no good, for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Isn't that what happens today? People fall away. They find a group that will make much of them, and you, they will, the person will make much of them. Make sense? The two parties come together and make much of each other. Happens all across our world today. It's been happening for thousands of years. It's our nature. It's man's and woman's nature to want to be accepted by a group. And that's what he's saying here. He says in verse 18, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. Oh, he says here, if I left you and you turned away from the truth. And then he says in verse 19, my little children from whom I am again, another sign of his pain as a pastor I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, why did he use that phrase? I reckon it was the most painful thing Paul saw on a regular basis. Paul heard on a regular basis. Now, if you're walking through this village in this day and time, where did the ladies have the babies? In the houses, right? No hospital, right? There's not, you know, you, you, there's not a big building where you go in in the inner, inner uh, sanction of that hospital. And, you know, out in the waiting room, nobody can hear the cries and the moans. And, 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 we're not, and there's no uh, pain shot in your uh, back. What's that? The, the duo, the duo, 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 duo. You know what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, do, what? Epidural. Yeah. Never had one. Never had one. No epidural, no pain medicine. Having children, naturally. A lot of screams, a lot of anguish. And he uses that. He says, you know, it's like I have an anguish for you, like childbirth. I anguish the fact that, man, you're not being formed to Christ. I anguish over that. How in the world can anyone anguish over that? Because it's so important. It matters so much not to, not to form, be conformed to the image of this world, not to be like the world, but to be like Christ and experience all that Christ has to give. And he says, man, I have anguish over that, like childbirth, like the pain of childbirth. I, I'm having childbirth pains for you because you're not being formed to Christ. It's kind of like a mold, isn't it? That's the idea, the idea of being formed. 
You're not clothing yourself with Christ. You're being held strongly by the law. And he says in verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. Oh, he loves them. And, and Paul is looking at what he's writing. He's looking at these words. Now the Holy Spirit is telling him what to say. He's writing them down. This is the word of the Lord. But he's looking at these words, and he's probably thinking about this idea that he's having that he's wasted his time with them. He's probably thinking about the fact that he's entreating them. He's probably thinking about, you know, the idea that he has become their enemy because of the truth. And, and he's, he's just beginning to think about this. He said, maybe I'm being a little bit too strong. And you see his heart come out. And he said, wouldn't it be better that I don't text this? Wouldn't it be better that you're not receiving an email from me? Wouldn't it be better that we were face-to-face and you could read my, my expressions? You could, you could read my emotions? Uh, and he says that by saying that you would see my tone. Now, his tone is this. He loves them. He is for sure lining them out in this letter. He's for sure. He's setting them straight. They've gotten off the path. He's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to an about face. He's calling them to realize the, that their decisions they are making is going to be harmful to them. And he said, I just wish I was with you. So you would see my tone. However, however, I am perplexed about you. I'm so puzzled, he says. I can't even begin to, to see a reasonable reason why you're doing what you're doing. You puzzle me. Now, he sees all this. He feels all this. And he's sharing his heart with him so they would understand the severity of being strong-held by something other than Jesus. I hope you see that. If there is a strong hold on you, and that does not form you to Christ, there's reason to be anguishing over you. It really matters. It's really important that you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you are not being conformed to this world. You are being conformed to Christ. That the law does not have a strong hold on you. Now, I've thought about this a little bit this week. What would Paul be concerned with in our community it, what would he say when he would speak to us as Christians here in this place? Perhaps he would be concerned that there would be a stronghold on us about money, right? Maybe he would be concerned that there would be a stronghold on us about morality. In other words, that we would, we would be in good people, we would really have pride in our morality and not understand that we have sinned against God and we need forgiveness, that might be something that he would address with us. But you know, there may be something else he would address with us. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The foolishness of preaching confounds the wise, right? 
the wise don't come to Christ because they see the message of Christ as foolishness. And one of the real barriers to people coming to Christ in our community, and maybe one of the barriers to someone here today to grow in Christ is you're so smart. You got a, you got a college degree. You've got jobs that only smart people can have, right? That's, that's that white-collar environment that we're in. I mean, you know, what you do required education, requires more education to keep on doing what you're doing. And what's in the way? What has a strong hold on you is your intellect. And it holds you back. And, and you don't walk in the Spirit because of that strong hold that your intellect has over you. And so the question I want to challenge you with today in light of the scripture we looked at today is who is holding you the tightest? Jesus or something else? And may the Spirit speak to your heart. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Paul's heart for the Galatian people. I just pray that you'd help each one of us to take a serious look at it to really take a look at our lives, to examine ourselves today. What has a stronghold on us? In Jesus' name, amen.